0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Pagard. I'm grateful that you could join me today, and I'm looking forward to walking through the Word with you. So we've had a little bit of a time off uh, with the podcast, and I apologize for that, but I thank you for tuning in again. Um, I'm excited to be back uh, recording the podcast and getting into the Word with you. Uh, It has been a little bit of a break, so we're we're excited that we're starting it back up again, um, and we'll try to do a few uh, every week for the next few weeks to kind of catch up. Um, but again, thank you for your patience, and uh, I'm excited to be recording again and and going through the Bible with you. Uh, the scripture that we're going to be focusing on today is out of Daniel uh, chapter 9, and we'll be reading from verses 25 to 27. Uh, so that'll be our, our focus for this podcast so again, if you if you have a version that you prefer uh, that's not NIV, that's typically what I'm going to be reading out of for our podcast. If you'd like to pause the podcast and open up your Bible and read Daniel 9, 25 to 27, uh, to get the context, um, and then you can rejoin the podcast and pl- press play and uh, listen to me reading from NIV. Or you can listen to me read from NIV and listen to yours afterwards. It's It's how you, however you would like to do it. Um, the main reason I, I recommend reading in a version that you uh, are comfortable with or reading it in the context, uh, kind of on your own, is is that sometimes when I'm, and this might just be, be something that's kind of an issue for me, but sometimes when I'm reading other, where I'm hearing other people read uh, the scriptures, it's harder for me to process it. Um, and again, that might just be a weird quirk uh, that is is unique to me, but sometimes when I'm hearing other people read the word, uh, it do, it doesn't it doesn't register in the same way that it does when I'm reading the scripture. Uh, same thing if if I'm taking it bits and pieces at a time and not reading the entire section, um, that can often get a little bit broken up in my mind. Uh, it's harder to understand. Uh, and and about the versions. Uh, For me, NIV has been the version that I've used uh, throughout my time in ministry so far over the last six years, so it's comfortable to me, um, but I know other people that prefer uh, versions like the King James Version or the New King James Version or the English Standard Version or the New Living Translation. There's a lot of different versions, um, and if you have any questions about Versions of the Bible and how do we choose? I'd love to talk about that on the podcast. So if you have a question about which version uh, you should use or how to um, understand people reading out of different versions, uh, send me an email at mobilewordministry at gmail and I'd love to just discuss that with you uh, through the podcast. But um, but we can save that for a later date. So uh, the reason I encourage that is just for greater understanding. You know, sometimes we understand it better if we're reading the version that we're used to. Um, so if you're not used to NIV and you have a version that is comfortable to you, I suggest um, pausing the podcast and reading it uh, either before I read or after, just to get your uh, grasp on the passage. Okay? So we're in Daniel 9, verse 25, and we'll finish in verse 27. So this is Daniel 9, 25. No one to understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, let's pray for for a moment before we get into our discussion. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have your word uh, in times of of uneasiness and anxiety and fear, um, the 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 many fears that we have or that we are um, surrounded by in this world. I thank you that we have your word, that your word is truth and that it is everlasting and unbreakable. So, Father, as we come together uh, in this virtual Bible study, um, and we come uh, presenting uh, ourselves, and we we come at the uh, the mercy of your word. We ask that you administer understanding and clarity for all of us listening and and partaking in this Bible study. Uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us in the name of Jesus, and I thank you that you uh, come to us with answers when we come to you with questions. And I just ask that you, Holy Spirit, administer understanding and clarity to all of us who are involved in this Bible study. Help us to understand uh, what it is that we are, are called to receive through this time of of studying the Word of God, uh, the Living Word, we thank you that we have the Word of God and ask that you help us to understand uh, this challenging text. So, thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Son Jesus, and in His name we pray. Amen. So this uh, this is another uh, another passage that was sent in uh, by a friend of the podcast in Korea. Um, I don't know if, if, if you know, we, we mentioned it in maybe the first podcast, but uh, my wife and I lived for about five years in South Korea, uh, preaching, uh, working as teachers, but, but really doing a lot of ministry um, as kind of the full-time work. Uh, that's actually where I was called in, into ministry, uh, was, was in Korea. And uh, we have you know ongoing uh, fellowship and friendship with our, our family there. Uh, and and a lot of the scriptures recently have been coming from uh, from our contacts in Korea. So so this scripture uh, came to us from the city of Daegu, South Korea. And I uh, just just read it right before we started the podcast. I've mentioned before I I try not to spend too much time. It sounds it sounds odd, but I try not to prepare too much. Um, I am very much a lay person that has been given the privilege to be a, a pastor or a minister uh, or a teacher of the word. Um, I don't come from a background of knowing um, all of the Hebrew and the Greek and all of the symbols and everything. I was called into ministry with no experience and no real mentor uh, or church above me, guiding me into what it means to be a teacher of the Word or a pastor. So all I had was the Word and the Holy Spirit. So uh, one of the things that's that's so exciting for me is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go into the Word, no matter who you are. Um, I'm a perfect example of someone that is very normal, uh, very average. And the gift is that we can go into the Word uh, and go into any passage And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can receive, you know, we can receive provision in understanding and clarity in passages that are hard. Uh, Daniel is a challenging book. Uh, A lot of the prophets are challenging books. And if it were just based off of our own understanding or our abilities, I don't think a lot of us would read uh, the prophets. There's, there's other books that are much easier to understand. Um, The Gospels, they they do still have those moments where you're totally lost, but it's more of a, a narrative. You know, it's a story arc. You know, in the Gospels, Acts, uh, even a lot of the letters are pretty clear. Uh, the Old Testament, Genesis, is very um, very story like uh, Exodus. Um, but there are are huge portions of the the Bible that are 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 very challenging, uh, very hard to understand. But the gift is that we have the Holy Spirit that promises to be our teacher, promises to be our counselor in these moments when we're stuck. And uh, your relationship to the Word is often a mirror relationship to your faith in this world. Uh, When we are facing something that is so hard and we have no idea what to do, uh, that we are lost, we are without answers, the promise of Jesus is that He is with us and that He will make a way where there is no way. So likewise in the word, when you're stuck, the temptation is to think, well, it's just not for me to understand. You know, this is for the experts to understand. Um, and there's, that's, there's some truth to that. You know, there, there are people with gifts of teaching. Um, that's part of my my gift or my privilege is to be someone that can help. Uh, just like when you read in Acts 8 with Philip and the eunuch, um, the eunuch says, how can I understand without someone to teach me? And that is absolutely biblical and scriptural that there are our people that have the responsibility to help explain. However, the gift is that, like Jesus tells the woman at the well, there will be a time when you worship me in spirit, um, not at a temple, not on a mountain. So we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us understand hard passages like this, wherever you are and whoever you are. So, I like to have someone choose a scripture and I like not to prepare too much because if I prepare too much, I know myself and I'm very tempted to boast up myself and and rely on my my ability to prepare. And I start to feel kind of hemmed in by what I've prepared because I think, well, that's what I've prepared and that's what I've got to teach. And I, I love removing that. I love going into the scripture in real time and saying, Lord, I don't know what you want us to, to learn from this, but I know that it's your word and that we need your word, so you want us to learn something. What is it? And I can tell you, um, it is all the time. You know, there's a 100% success rate in the Holy Spirit coming and, and giving clarity. Um, it's amazing, and that's been ongoing for the past six years. Uh, it is without a doubt a reality uh, as as a Christian walking with Christ that you can go into the word and say, Lord, help me understand, and he will. And in those times where you're stuck, there are those options, you know, other people that have been gifted with the ability to teach that you can turn to, but God will always give you an option so that you don't leave a passage just forgetting it, sweeping it under the rug, and saying, I just can't understand, it's not an option. So, that all to say, when I read through 25 to 27, it is confusing there are a lot of things that are confusing about it, and immediately I asked the Lord, I said, what is important? When you're reading the Word, that, that is such an important question to ask. What is important? There are a lot of things in the Word that I believe we won't understand. Um, there are a lot of questions that won't be answered. However, there are more things that will be answered in terms of what you have as questions or concerns or doubts um, but there are certain things that we, we just don't know. Um, one of the red flags in ministry, uh, if you're at a church or if you're listening to a pastor, is the proclamation, the self-proclamation of a ministry or a pastor or teacher that they know all of the answers. Um, I can tell you right now that that is a bad sign. That is a red flag. Um, your pastor at your church or the Christian friend that you have um, must be comfortable Admitting that there are things that we can't know and there are things that we won't know until God comes and reveals everything in the end, which is part of what this passage is talking about. So there's a lot of things in the Bible that are I call them they're, they're red herrings, and you could get taken away for an entire lifetime you know wasting your energy on something that is not necessarily important. So when I'm in the Word and I'm coming across a passage that is very challenging, one of the questions I ask is, okay, Lord, what is important? Now, when I did that, I felt like the Lord illuminated a few things, and that's what I'm going to focus on for this podcast. So there are obviously other things that I'm not going to be mentioning, and a lot of that is because I, I don't have the answer. Um, I don't know. Again, like I said, I'm not an expert, so maybe there are some things that you can you can dig through translations and you can dig through historical archives and you can draw connections and that's great and those could be true but right now i i don't feel like they're important so if you want to go and search and and find out all the symbols go ahead you know don't fear that don't be afraid of that however i i just would warn you to not get dragged down in things that are not important for you as a Christian, walking with Christ now with your family, your friends, at your workplace, there are certain things that are just not that important. So right off the bat, you know, I'm just going to go through it and we'll we'll talk about some of those things that I believe are important. So the first, uh, first verse 25, no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes there will be 77s seven and 627s. Okay, so the first thing that stands out is something that starts to make my brain hurt is the numbers, 77s seven and 627s. So again, you might have someone you listen to that has the answers to what those are. And maybe there are answers to know exactly what those are. In my opinion, are those important right now? I don't believe so. That's my opinion. I don't believe those are those are important for me right now thinking about going to work. And uh, being a witness to my friends and my family, uh, being a a a Christian, a believer to my wife and my family, to me those things are not important. What is important, in the first verse, in verse twenty five, uh, in verse twenty five, is that we have to know and understand this: that there has been a plan, that there is a plan, that is going to be revealed, in the end. That things are set. So a lot of the prophecies, and and in Daniel specifically, it's a warning, saying this is going to happen. So the temptation in this world to think that nothing will happen, it's never going to happen, God isn't in control of what's going on. You look around the world and there's so much chaos. The temptation is God is absent. Where is God? And here, through Daniel, it's saying that God sees this, God is in in control of this, and God has prepared for this, that this is going according to script. You know, that is such a challenging truth of the word, is that what you are going through right now, I don't know what each of you are going through, whether there's physical challenges, sickness, emotional challenges, social challenges, political, cultural, I mean, each one of us partaking in this Bible study have our own laundry list of challenges and hard times and, and difficulties right now. The challenging truth of the word of God coming through to us right now in Daniel nine is that God has prepared you for that, that God has prepared that for you. Where you are is not a mistake. He is aware and he is in control of what you are going through right now. So that should give you some encouragement. But then the the, the icing on the cake, the thing that, that makes that all what it is, which is glorious and life changing, is that the God that has prepared that for you and is preparing you for this moment that you are in right now as I speak is good. Now your situation might be awful but the God that has prepared you for that situation prepared you for that situation is good. Praise God that where we are right now is not unknown to our Father in heaven but that he has prepared us for such a time as this like it comes through to us in Esther prepared you for such a time as this. So is it important, in my opinion, to know what the seven sevens are and the sixty-two sevens? No, that's my opinion. Is it important for us to start off this passage knowing that God has prepared for this? He knows about this and he has prepared you for this and he's warning you about this. There's grace there that he's letting you know what will happen and that it won't be a surprise or it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, praise God for that, that we don't have to guess and assume what will happen, that he's laid it out before us that we know, that we have confidence and certainty, things will go a certain way. Now, the details, there might still be question marks. There will still be question marks. But the fact that we know what direction things are going in, and we know that with confidence in Jesus' name, that's grace. You know, imagine that. If you're driving down the road, and a mile down the road, there's a cliff. And someone stops you, runs into the road, flags you down and says, there's a cliff in a mile, plan accordingly, versus the other scenario when no one's there to tell you. That's grace that you've been warned. You know, if you're involved in something financially, and it's a scam, and you don't know, and someone comes in and says, did you know that that's a scam, and you're going to lose all your money, versus the other situation, the other scenario where no one tells you, and you lose all your money. That's grace. That's grace that you've been told. So we sometimes see these prophecies as doom and gloom. Oh, woe is me. All these terrible things. We should rejoice that we've been given the grace to know. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing, verse 25. So in my opinion, I would not be distracted by the numbers, seven sevens and 62 sevens. So let's keep going. Next sentence, it says, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. So, what, one of the things that those two sentences are telling us is that things will get bad. Not just, you know, socially or culturally that things are going to start getting worse, but that that's going to be connected, totally related To the name of Jesus, the anointed one is Christ, and he's cut off. So this idea that my faith will give me privilege, my identification as a Christian will give me privilege, will give me a pass. What we see here in Daniel 9 is the confirmation of what we hear from Christ, saying that you will be persecuted, you will be tossed out, you will be brought into courts, you will be beaten, killed, Being associated with Christ will not be a positive thing in our world as the future is unfolded. That will be a target in the same way Christ was a target. Every time he healed, that target got bigger. Every time he pronounced and professed what he was, who he was, the target got bigger. Constantly, every time he helped someone, the target got bigger on himself. And why should we expect anything different as Christians, bearing the name of Christ in this world that has rejected him? So it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. So likewise, we will be cut off. We will have nothing abandoned, left out, cast aside. That's what's waiting for us in this world because of how the world views Christ, who he is, and what he brings into this world, which is ultimately conviction of sin, a need to repent. He does bring new life and good news, but he comes convicting the world of its sin. Next verse, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. There's a, f- a few things in there, but I'm going to focus in on the first the first sentence. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That, to me, is pointing in the direction of church. You know, if you look at the sanctuary through the scriptures, the sanctuary is a, is a holy place. It's the holy place where God resides. You know, when we look at the temple or when we look at the the tabernacle through the exodus... That's where God dwelt with his people. One of the things that will happen as time goes on is the church will become more corrupted. The church that you're attending right now will be under threat of that corruption. Now, it's not guaranteeing that it will become corrupt, and I hope that you pray fervently for your pastor's for your elders, your leaders, that they can prioritize the name of Jesus and the living word. But there will be many churches, many congregations that will give in to that kind of corruption and the sanctuary will be destroyed. So this isn't an external warning or prophecy as Christian. This is not... Well, there will be floods and there will be wars, but it says that that will happen. You know, we will see a natural deterioration of this world. We will see a cultural deterioration of this world, social, financial. Things will start, things will start dropping. You no, know, how long, how quick, we don't know all those things, but we can already tell things are dropping. They're not going in, in, in the right direction. We can at least say that. However, The power of the gospel in this broken world is the church. That's the body of Christ bringing light into a dark world, bringing salt into a world that needs anointing and preservation and life. So from the enemy's perspective, what are you going to go after to prohibit or limit the effectiveness of the gospel in a world that desperately needs it? You go after the light. If you're in a room that is filled with light, but you want it to be dark, what are you going to do? Turn off the light. So we have, to, we have to come to grips with this. You know, this isn't a scare tactic. I'm not trying to freak you out, although it's scary, but this is real. The church is a target for the enemy to limit what Christ can do in this world. So we can't just sit there huddled together in our churches praying for the outside world. Yes, we do that. However, we have to defend our flock. And how do we defend our flock? We bring in the shepherd. We let him shepherd even the shepherds, the pastors. Let him be our shield. And our salvation. Let him be our rock and foundation. Let him be our savior. Let him really save us, not just by name, but in action and in deed. Let him save your church. Let Jesus save your leadership. Let him save your congregation, because it will be attacked. Guarantee it. You know, the prophecies of God always are fulfilled. These promises never fail. So this will happen. The sanctuary will be destroyed. Next sentence. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So again, there's the sevens. In my opinion, you can kind of brush through those. I I don't know if it's worth it to spend too much time wanting to know what the sevens are. You can look into it. I'm not telling you don't. But I think there's other important things to take away from this passage that are very relevant to you right now. Whereas the sevens, I'm not sure if those are absolutely relevant for you to know right now. But what is relevant, in my opinion, is in verse 27, that in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Um, in my opinion, as I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, okay, through this prophecy, we're knowing that, okay, we ha- we're we starting off with confidence that God has seen this. So we shouldn't be shaken. We shouldn't be afraid because, again, our God is good and he has seen this and he's prepared us for it. However, what follows, you know, it's just like when people say, brace yourself before something happens. Get ready. I want you to be sitting down. You know, all of those are, are moments of grace saying, What you're about to hear is heavy, and I'd like you to not fall down, so sit down. What we're going to do is we're going to stop very abruptly, so I'd like you to brace yourself. That's basically, in my opinion, what 25 is. God's saying, know and understand. You know, God has foreseen this. He has prepared us for it. Our God is sovereign over the past, present, and future There's no need to be afraid. However, then he unveils what will happen, and we see an attack on the church. We see an attack of those claiming Christ, associating with the anointed one. We do see natural deterioration and global deterioration. But then you think, okay, well, how How is is the enemy, this ruler, going to attack the church, the sanctuary, the holy place where God dwells? And we read it, put an end to sacrifice and offering. What you will start to see in churches is you will see churches that are less willing to sacrifice, not only to the Lord and to God, but to each other. You will start to see a spirit of selfishness, self-conceit, self-worship, self-adoration and adulation. You will start to see a church that is a church on the outside, but within that church, even with your pastors and your leadership, you will see individuals that are self-motivated, self-directed, and self-glorified by their own name and not the name of Jesus. You will see the opposite of suffering servants. So that's one thing. That's one mark that your church or your congregation is not only under attack from that corruption, but it is being corrupted, is that you will see a worship of the self in your church as opposed to a worship of Christ through self-sacrifice. Second thing, you will see an end to offering Not only will people be self-concerned about themselves, and only themselves, but they will refuse to offer what they have to others. One of the things you see in the early church in Acts is that they shared, they sold all their belongings and they shared what they had. What does that mean at at a deeper level? It means that they didn't claim authority to what they had. Their money was not their money. Their home was not their home. Their material possessions were not their material possessions. Ultimately, they fell under the jurisdiction of God. And being saved by Christ, by Jesus, part of his body, the church, all of our belongings belong to everyone else. That's just, an it's not, it, this isn't political theory or communism. This is the nature of the gospel. You start to see things Clearly. And in reality, and that reality is that you are not your own. You are owned. You are bought for a price. You are a slave to Christ. You cannot challenge that and contradict contradict that with the word of God. You might challenge that and contradict that with how you feel and your opinion, but you will not find the contradiction or challenge to that in the word of God. You were bought for a price. You are owned by Christ, a slave to Jesus Christ by grace and for glory of new life. Hallelujah that you are bought and that you are a slave to Christ. However, you are still bought and a slave to Christ. So everything you own is not yours anymore. You relinquish control to all of that. Now the enemy brings in a temptation that you are not bought that you belong to yourself. You have earned your own rights. You deserve what you deserve because of what you have accomplished and what you have done and because of who you are. So it starts with self-worship, starting to see the world from your perspective and saying, this is all about me. I deserve this. My idea is the thing that should fly. My goals are the most important. My ideas should be above and beyond everyone else's ideas. My will be done. And then through that, how that manifests in behavior is that you don't want to share anything because everything is yours. And what you start to see is you start to see a church, a body of believers, let's just take 50, who together are a strong body of Christ, Sharing the love that we have in Jesus with one another, multiplying that love, becoming a brighter and brighter light to the point where the light overflows, spills out of that church building or that congregation into the community, and likewise it multiplies and multiplies. That's the nature of our God. The Creator creates and multiplies and creates self-sustaining creations, self-sustaining life, life that produces life. With no design for death, but life that multiplies, blessing upon blessing. Not material blessing, but blessing of Christ that overflows and abounds. Now, with the corruption that's going to be more abundant in the church, in the sanctuary, you will start to see that group of 50 believers together becoming more and more isolated the distance between each believer will get further and further apart. And apart, being separated, divided, your strength fails. Your effectiveness fails. The life of that body fails. If you take a branch and cut it off the tree, it will die. If you take a piece of your body, if you take your arm and cut it off, the arm will die. And that's the goal of the enemy, is to kill that light, to shut it off. So again, I'm not saying this is inevitable for your church. I pray it's not. But we have the choice to bring in Jesus, to bring in the living word, to shelter us with Christ and the blood of Christ, so that we can rebuke the enemy because he has been defeated already in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The very end, it says, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So the first verse, 25, establishes the sovereignty of God over the end. The last verse establishes the verdict and the ultimate consequence and punishment for the enemy. So the end has been determined. The enemy loses. That is guaranteed. When Jesus dies on the cross, it is finished. When he resurrects from the tomb, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is thy sting? where, O death, is thy victory. That is confirmed. That has happened. My question to you is, are you living life now, even with what's happening in this world, even what, what we know will happen in the future? Are you living with the victory that we have now in Jesus Christ? That's a life changer. So many people are not living with the awareness and the belief that Jesus has done it, that he has conquered death, and that we reign in victory with our Savior. Because at the end, through this chapter in Daniel, it says that the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The enemy can't win, all he can do is try and drag down as many people as he can as he's falling. You know, will we experience persecution? Will we experience hardship, abuse, being cast out, isolation from this world? Yes, 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 you will. In the name of Jesus, you will. However, does that mean that you can be touched? That what you have in Christ can be taken from you? Or that anything can separate you from the love of Christ? not if you continually call upon the name of Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life and to be your shepherd and to be your king and to remind yourself of what he's done for you over and over, day after day, going into the word and reading what he has done, hearing the voice of your Father in heaven, Declare his love for you from the beginning. Nothing can touch you. You can have all the hardship in the world. Nothing can touch you. They can take your body, but they can't take your soul. That has been bought for a price and is owned, consumed right now in the name of Jesus. So when we read a passage like this, are there challenging aspects, yes. Are the things that we didn't address and we don't have all the answers to? Yes. But does that mean that it's a throwaway passage that we just have to resign to people that know more? Never. I believe there are truths in these verses, and I believe that we touched on those truths, that God is in control. He has prepared this, this situation for you and prepared you for it but that part of that gift is also suffering with Christ alongside Christ because of what he has done. And that we will see deterioration within the church because of the unwillingness for the church and its leaders to call upon the name of Jesus. And they will, they will, you will see a manifestation of a selfish and self-obsessed spirit in the church when that happens. However, the end has been declared and decreed and the enemy has lost. So don't be consumed with the fear that anything of real value can be taken from you because in Jesus, you have everything you will ever need. And that is the prized possession, is that you have Christ. You have him. And there is no fear because perfect love casts out fear, and we have the perfect love in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not fear. And we have that Spirit in Jesus' name with us now and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you for challenging us with a scripture that is not um, totally easy to understand, but I thank you for giving us truth, Uh, Thank you for never um, hiding hard truths from us. Thank you for always giving us, uh, not necessarily what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Anoint these truths in our lives and help us to take them with us into our daily life, walking with Christ. And we rebuke fear in Jesus' name. And we ask that the glory and the freedom of Christ reign in our lives as we proclaim he is risen. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we'll leave it there for this week's episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in, and always remember to send me your thoughts and questions and comments or any scriptures you want to have discussed on the podcast to mobilewordministry at gmail.com. So it's great to be back with all of you, and until next time, enjoy the Word and God bless.